tonight's reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made, the foolish, made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. There was once uh, two teenage boys, and they approached this church, and they were looking at the church, at the building, they were looking at all the different statues, they were looking at the images that were up there, some of the symbols, some of the icons that we recognize, and they were kind of just laughing about it. They were just kind of saying, like, this is kind of ridiculous, isn't it? There's this massive building that's probably empty, that probably nobody goes to. And there's a guy there, and he's all dressed up, and he waves things around, and he he offers smelly stuff going on, and incense, and they sing songs that just don't really mean anything. And they were really, really just ripping it apart. And these boys said, let's go up to the steps, and let's actually stick our head into the church. So they go up the steps, they look into the church, and they see more bits of wood and and, and icons and statues and paintings and windows, and they're just kind of shaking their head at the foolishness, like, this is ridiculous. Look at the space. Unbelievable. How is this even a thing? And then one of the guys say, hey, I tell you what, I I dare you to do something. I'm going to dare you to go into the confessions box where the priest is. And I want you to make up some horrific, really perverse, horrible, shocking stuff to shock the priest. Like, just do it. I dare you to do it. Like, what else is he going to do? He's probably there reading the paper anyway. He's not doing anything. Like, might as well do it. I dare you to do it. I dare you to go in and do what I've just said uh, to do. So the lad says, okay, yeah, I'll do it. He said, I'm going to wait outside. I'm not going to be around when, when this happens. Like, when he throws you out of the church, just run for it, yeah? And I'll, I'll be waiting at the steps, and we'll make a dash for it. So the one kid goes into the confessions box, and the other guy goes outside. And he's waiting for his friend. And he's kind of chuckling to himself, thinking, this is going to be amazing. Like, this poor old priest that's there is going to be shocked. Some of the words that my friend uses, is not going to have heard for a long time. Some of the images and the things that the guy describes is going to be absolutely going to shock the pants off this guy. This is going to be amazing. So the young guy, the teenage boy, goes into the confession box. He closes the curtain. And he says, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. And then this teenage boy begins to just roll out this horrible, quite twisted, sick, perverse stuff that he's just making up. He's just just going for it. And he's just kind of mocking him, really, and he's just kind of laughing about the fact that this is even a thing, that this thing exists. And he goes on and on and on about it, and he's just kind of like chuckling to himself. And he gets a bit carried away, and he probably oversteps the mark a little bit. 
And then he finishes. When he's got it all off his chest, he just stops. And he waits for the priest to give him his punishment. Or to give him his, oh, just say ten Hail Marys. Or just why don't you do this? Why don't you read this scripture, you dirty young man, or whatever he's going to say to him. But he doesn't say that. And there's a silence. And there's quite an awkward silence. And this young teenager is feeling a bit awkward about this. He's not really sure what's going to happen next. And the priest says this, he said, I want you to do something for me. I want you to leave the confessions box, just, just, just take yourself out of it. I want you to walk through the church, and I want you to look at all the icons that's there. I want you to look at the hymn books. I want you to look at the pews. I want you to look at the stained glass windows, the images. Then I want you to just walk out the church. Just walk out the church. Just walk down the steps. Then just turn around. Then look at the church again. And look at Jesus on the cross. And then what I want you to do is I want you to get your finger and just point at the cross and just say these words. Just say, I don't care. I don't care. That's all I want you to do. So the young boy is kind of quite shocked at this, a bit confused. He leaves the confession box. He leaves the church. He walks down the steps and he's met by his friend who's thinking, why aren't we running? We should be legging it by now. And he said, hey, what did you do? Did you do it? Did you bottle it or did you do it? Did you actually go in? Come on, please tell me you did it. He said, yeah, yeah, I did it. And he said, well, what did he say? Like, was he shocked? Did you make him cry? What did you do? Like, well, how did it go down? He said, well, yeah, I did it. And I said all this stuff. I probably went a bit too far. He said, but what did he say? What did the priest do? Like, did, did he absolutely lay into you about this? And he's like, no, he just told me to do something. And he was like, well, are you going to do it? And he said, yeah, I think so. So this young teenage boy steps up towards the church and he, he looks at Jesus on the cross and he, he looks longer than he thought he would. And he gets his hand and he begins to point to it and he just says, I don't. And he couldn't finish his sentence. Years later, there was a certain bishop who was having friends around for dinner. And this bishop was just talking about his journey with God. He was talking about his faith. He was talking about it in such a way that was alive and that was passionate. And this bishop was telling the people around his dinner table that story. And the bishop said, I know exactly how that young boy felt because that was me. See, the young boy had looked on the cross and he realized that he maybe got it wrong. Maybe when he looked at the cross again, it's actually a game changer. It's actually a life changer. This young boy who was once mocking and thinking how foolish was now a bishop. Let's look at the text that um, Hazel's just read out for us. It's an amazing text. Paul's addressing the church in Corinth here. And really, when you read through this text, the Apostle Paul, he's saying two things. There's two key things that Paul wants to tell the church in Corinth. The first thing is this, that when you look at the cross, when you study the cross, the cross, it's foolishness. A bit like the boys in our story, like, I know it doesn't make sense, like, it, it seems a bit silly, doesn't it? It's foolishness to the ones who don't believe in it. It's foolishness to the ones who don't put their faith in it. It's foolishness to the ones that don't live their life by it. But Paul's also saying, it's the power of God. 
It's also the power of God for those who do put their faith in it, for those who do live their lives accordingly to it, those that do center their lives around it. It's an absolute game changer. It's the power of God. It's the center of all things. Firstly then, let's look at the first thing that the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying it's foolishness to the perishing one. See, the Jews, they wanted this strong leader. They wanted someone who's going to rise up and free them from Roman oppression. They were desperate for this person to come. And it was a massive stumbling block for the Jews because the Jews wanted this strong leader. But you know the story with Jesus, right? You know that Jesus died. And, and, and he died on a cross. And as Dave said it last week, I think it was, like he died on a tree. Like that was an image of, of someone being cursed. Like Jesus dying on a cross was like, that, that can't be the person that you're on about. Like didn't he die? And wasn't he cursed by God? Like that was the end really. Like, that, that, and also for the Jews, that was a symbol of weakness. The cross, crucifixion, it was a symbol of weakness. So this isn't the person that they want. This was absolute foolishness to build your life around such a person, such a crucifixion, such an end because Jesus died on the cross. It was unwise to believe in such foolish, weak things. Jesus dying on the cross. When actually it wasn't unwise and God's wisdom was revealed in the tortured and broken body of his beloved son who died on that tree. Nicky Gumbel recently put up on Instagram this about uh, the victory of the cross, and he says this, The greatest turnaround took place on the cross when what looked like a defeat, God turned around into the greatest victory of all time. What looked like a defeat, God turned around to be the greatest victory of all time. The cross was also foolish for the Greeks. See, the Greeks wanted cleverness. They wanted intelligence. They wanted nice philosophical thinking. They wanted something that was high and lofty and well thought out. Greek philosophers, people that were thinking, oh, wow, let's get a clever answer to all of this. But the cross was too simple. It made no sense to the Greeks they were like, that, that can't be the answer. Like, like surely not. That makes no sense to our clever minds. Maybe similar to people today. You know, we kind of think, yeah, we're over Christianity, right? Like, science has dis- disproved God, remember? You know, we, we, people used to believe that, yeah, but, but now we kind of, we've wised up to that, surely, you know? Surely we've kind of got over that. You know, you, surely you can't think that now when you think about all these great thinkers, these philosophers, these people, how we can journey through life and make sense of life. Like, surely that is no longer a thing, is it? The Greeks wanted clever wisdom. They wanted clever earthly wisdom, actually. They wanted clever thinking and intelligence. They thought it was foolishness. It was stupid. It was too simple to believe in the cross. A couple of examples, then, of this you can find in Acts. So it's not on the screen, but let me take you through this. In Acts chapter 17, Paul is talking to a group of Stoic philosophers, and they began to debate with Paul about his preaching, about what he was saying. And these guys said to him, what is this babbler trying to say? Maybe some of you guys are thinking that tonight about me. What is this babbler trying to say? 
But Paul's having these debates with these philosophers and they're saying, what's this babbler on about? What is he trying to say? Another example, Acts 26. People shouted at Paul, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning has driven you insane. The things that Paul was preaching about the cross, like people saying, that is insane. Like that is crazy. They didn't believe it. What about today then? What might your work colleague, your flatmate, your friend at university, what might they think of the message of the cross? Will they think it's foolishness? Will they think it's, it's unwise? Will they think, oh, actually, that's great for you, but, but not for me? Will they think it's outdated? Will they think it's a dying trend? Will they think it's just nice? It's just nice. Or will they think nothing about it? And we are the sermon, aren't we? We are the gospel. Like, if people think that the gospel is foolish, the way we live our lives is going to contradict that. The way that we love people is going to turn that. It's going to change how people see the cross and the message of the cross because it's going to be a living testimony of how we live our our lives. I remember going um, into King's Cross, and it was around the time when we were doing Alpha, and uh, we wanted to ask people, what, what do you think, that, uh, how, why do you think Jesus died? And I remember going out with my friend, and I just thought, let's just go and ask some people. Let's just go and find some random people and ask them why do they think Jesus died. And we put a camera in their face, and we kind of interviewed them. And I was shocked, because the first five people that I asked, why do you think Jesus died, didn't have a clue. Like, they didn't know. I'm not talking about, like, you know, young people, or, or people that maybe wouldn't go to church. A whole range of people... That one of them said, I have no answer for that. I don't actually know. Didn't know why Jesus died. They might just think actually nothing about it. They've never actually given it a second thought. They may think it's foolishness reduced to nothing. They may think that the cross is actually just a symbol, a tattoo, an image, or even some jewellery. I remember overhearing two girls that were at a jewellery shop. And these two girls were looking at rings and necklaces and, 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 br- and bracelets and so on. And this one girl wanted a necklace. And I remember this girl saying, oh, look, that's a nice one. That's a nice one. I could get a, do I get a silver one or do I get a gold one? That's quite a long necklace. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I like the cross on that. But I think you can get one with a little man on, can't you? I think you can get one with a little man on. And I'm aware that, like, for some people, they've no reference of the cross. Like, they've no reference. Like, for some people, it's like, it's, there's one you can get with a little man on. Some come without the little man, but you can get one with a little man on it. But you know what? The cross stands for so much more than that, doesn't it? Like, it's the centerpiece for who we are. It's the, it's the cornerstone. It's the thing that we base our lives around. It's more than just a little man around your neck. Paul was up against it, and as he was trying to promote Jesus and what Jesus has done, people said it was foolish. They said it was unwise. They said it was crazy. They called him insane. They just didn't get it. And in the world that we live in today, we may hear some of them echoes from that verse there, that some of them experiences that Paul had, some of the responses that Paul had. Like the Greeks at the time, maybe people think, well, you know, a bit of wisdom will, will kind of of think away the stuff that you believe. You'll be able to just rationalize the experiences you've had or, you know, you'll eventually, you'll eventually grow out of it. You'll grow out of what you believe. But, you know, our wisdom, our earthly wisdom, is foolishness to God. Like Libby said this morning, think of the most wise person you could ever think. 
And wisdom comes from heaven, by the way. But think of the most clever, the most intelligent person you know. And just think, all the stuff that they could ever learn and, and, and experience in life, it's foolishness to God. That's why when God tells you to do something through his word and it's confirmed with other people and you get a strong sense, God's asking me to do something, it makes no sense, but I get it. We should follow that. We should do that because we don't know what God is doing. Our ways aren't as high as God's ways. We can't box God in. Our thinking only gets to a certain point, but God is all-knowing and he knows all things. People maybe of today then might kind of shoo it away or explain it away or even kind of like rubbish what we believe by the things that they write and the things that they say. This is what Dawkins said. Richard Dawkins says, Faith acts like a virus that attacks the young and it affects generation after generation. For many people, part of growing up is killing off the virus of faith with a good strong dose of rational thinking. Basically saying, if you, th you can think your way out of this, a good strong dose of rational thinking and you'll shoo off all them things that you can believe or that people can believe. However, some of the greatest thinkers that I know and have studied, they've put their faith in the cross. Some of the greatest scientists in the world have put their faith in the cross and in the message of the cross. Einstein said, science without religion is lame. Religion without science is blind. Another atheist speaks out about faith and against faith. And he says this, this is Henri Henne, and he says this, he's a German journalist. A lot of his work actually was actually banned. But this is what he says about it. In dark ages, people are sorry, in dark ages, people are best guided by religion. As in pitch black dark nights, a blind man is the best guide. He knows the roads and the paths better than any man who can see. But when daylight comes, however, it's foolish to use a blind old man as a guide. My question to him would be, who said that daylight's come? Who said that daylight has come? We may have experienced incredible advantages in science um, and experienced some great techno technological breakthroughs, but millions of people still die each year from easy, preventable diseases. Neighboring people are still blowing up each other. The gap between the rich and the poor constantly rises. You could argue that things are getting darker, not brighter. And the truth is, we all need a savior. Like, the world is amazing, but it's messed up. We are amazing, but we're broken. Like, we need a savior. I don't know if you're anything like me, but you'll do a whole lot of things wrong in a day. You'll hurt people and you'll hurt God. You'll mess it up, you'll fall, you'll get things wrong. We need a savior. John Newton, who wrote the, the song Amazing Grace, we sing it. It's probably one of the most popular song, uh, songs when people gather together. We sing it at weddings, we sing it at funerals and so on. Amazing Grace. In his later years, he said this, though my memory fades, I realize and remember this, that I'm a great sinner, but Jesus is a great savior. I remember this, I'm a great sinner, but Jesus is a great savior. Secondly then, what else is Paul saying in this letter? He's saying that it's foolishness to some, and he recognizes that. But he's saying also it's the power 
of God for those that are putting their lives, uh, their trust in their lives, those that have been saved. Why is this message relevant for us today? It's the power of God for those that are putting their trust in it, those that have been saved. It's the center point for everything that we do and everything that we believe, the message of the cross. It's the center point. I don't know if you've ever played Jenga. Um, I'm sure you have. But this game is absolute classic. It's iconic. You can get these massive Jenga blocks now that you can play in gardens. But the classic one looks like that, these little wooden blocks. And if you've played it, you'll know that there's one block And if you take that bad boy out, the whole thing's going to crash down. Like you know that you get to a certain point where whether you've got a technique of flicking or poking or jabbing it out, whatever it is, however skilled you are, that one piece, everything's kind of balancing on that one. If you take that out, it's game over, literally. If you take away the message of the cross, everything else falls flat. Like it is the centerpiece for what we believe as Christians. It's the cornerstone. It's a thing that everything is based around in. The Apostle Paul said this, If Christ hasn't been raised, our faith is useless and we're still guilty of our sins. Like he's basically saying, if that didn't happen, if Jesus didn't die on the cross, as foolish as it might sound, if that didn't happen, let's just go home. Like all this stuff here, all this is is for nothing. It's absolutely pointless waste of time like we should just all go home jesus hasn't died on the cross if he didn't raise from if he wasn't raised from the dead if he didn't pay for our sins and were not healed and were not forgiven if the message of the cross is rubbishness let's just pack in but it's not it's the power of god and when you put your faith in it when you put your trust in it your life can be completely turned around and we see every day people around the world every day millions of people put their faith in jesus and in the cross and their lives are completely turned around it's not an old thing that's going to just eventually fade away it's a thing that's changing the world all the time god is continually and constantly making all things new, and people are constantly putting their faith in the message of God. It's the power of God for those that are being saved. I remember when I um, was doing ordination training, and I was assisting a chaplain in Pentonville Prison in London. And I remember going along to the prison, and um, I was actually leading worship in the prison. And it was their alpha course, and they, they needed some worship and so on. Uh, and I was absolutely wetting myself. I'm not going to lie. I was petrified. Like, I didn't want to go in. It was just around the corner from where we lived. Uh, I'd heard all sorts of stories. I'm not massively built. I didn't feel like I could go in and kind of hold my own against the guys. Um, the lady uh, chaplain who I went in with said, hey, don't bring any spare guitar strings in your case with you obviously because it can be used as a weapon. Don't bring any pens in with you. Don't bring anything with you that could be used against you. And when I went into the prison, the prison guard said, hey, look, none of the guards are going to be in there with you. Um, We'll we'll let let everybody out. They'll be free for all the prisoners will come in. But there is a panic button. uh, And if you hit the panic button, we'll come in and we'll floor all the prisoners and we'll, we'll just pin them down to the floor. So I was like, okay, can I lead worship by the panic button like this? So if it kind of like kicks off, I could just hit the panic button and I'll be absolutely fine. And I was absolutely petrified. 
But it was absolutely amazing because you know what? They get it. Prisoners get grace. People who are in prison understand forgiveness. They understand mercy. They understand the power of the cross. For those that are being saved, it's the power of God. And I've never been so alive in my faith than when I've been praying for prisoners and been talking about my faith with prisoners. And when I hear stories of them converting their friends in the corridors of the prison and calling people in the church and saying, when I come out, can I join your church? I've never been so alive than when I've been in prison and I've seen the power of God at work for those who are being saved, for those people who get it. Like when we make a mess of life, when we hurt people and we know we need forgiveness, thank God for the cross. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for the forgiveness. Thank God for all that's happening because it's the power of God for those who are being saved. What does it mean then for us? Well, it means that it's, it's hope. It means that lives are changed. It means that human hearts are changed, that situations are changed. It means that new communities come into being, consisting of people who are grasping and holding on to the message of the cross. It means that there's hope when people need to be forgiven, when there's pain, when there's death, where there's sickness, when there's salvation, um, when there's slavery, sorry, and addiction, when it seems that there's no way out, when it's dark and it's the darkest, there is hope. That's what it means. It means that as death was seen as the full stop, not anymore. Like death is the ultimate, or, or, or so we think. Like that's the full stop. But because of the cross, it's not. It's not the full stop anymore. It means that Jesus has conquered death. It means that there's hope. It means that no matter what you've done in life, no matter how messed up you feel, no matter how old you are or how young you are, when you put your faith in the message of the cross, you can be set free, you can be saved, you can be given a second, third, fourth chance. You can be completely turned around. You can be changed, you can be transformed. It means that your neighbor, your work colleague, your family member, your brother, your sister, it means that they can be forgiven, they can be set free, they can be healed, they can be saved, they can be liberated. It means so much, the message of the cross. It's the power of God for those that are being saved. Maybe for some of us, you've been a Christian for a long time, and it's kind of just faded into just a little image. You're kind of like the boys in the story at the beginning. You walk through church, you're like, yeah, another, another talk, another song. I'll go and sit in my seat. Yeah, yeah, we're going through the rituals. Yeah, yeah, we'll sing this, we'll do that. Yeah, we'll respond, or we won't respond, or whatever. I want to challenge you, like, get a fresh vision of the cross. See the cross and see the love. And how much does Jesus love you? He loves you this much. He loves you this much. Get a fresh vision of the cross and allow it to shape your life. And as you're going to work on Monday or you're going to university or school, go in as a forgiven person. Go in as somebody that Jesus has demonstrated his love for and live it out. Live it out. Contradict the world when they say it's foolishness by the way that you live your life. We're free. We're forgiven. The message of the cross, it's powerful. Let's bring this home then. Let's not have it something uh, abstract, something that happened over time. But this is something that happens and happens all the time as we put our faith in it, as we ask Jesus for forgiveness today, tomorrow, and as we're forgiven and set free. And let's be confident in it. Jesus conquered death, and we're going to celebrate that as we come to Easter soon. Let me finish um, with a story. This is about a guy called Charlie Mackesy. 
you may recognize Charlie. Charlie is an artist. Um, probably the, the most thing that well, you might recognize is but the Alpha logo that was way, way back, the old one. Uh, it was the little man carrying the question mark. Charlie sketched that up. But he's famous for the prodigal daughter that you might see there. There's sculptures of this. There's paintings of this in people's churches. This is one of his paintings. And recently, you may recognize, it's all over Instagram, but the whole thing of the boy and the horse, his sketches that is becoming a book. Charlie tells this story of when he was in Yorkshire. And Charlie was walking through the fields in Yorkshire. And he comes across this old little farm in Yorkshire. And he sees a lady called Mrs. Fletcher. This is the story of Mrs. Fletcher. And Charlie's walking through the field and, and he's just having a bit of time with God. He's walking, he's talking and he's praying. And he sees in the distance as he approaches Mrs. Fletcher's farm, he sees Mrs. Fletcher waving at him and he's like, oh, that's nice. Mrs. Fletcher's waving at me. Oh, I must pop in and have a cup of tea with Mrs. Fletcher at some point. Uh, so he kind of does a little wave and he keeps walking. But then he thinks, oh, she's still waving at me. That's awkward. So he, hi, Mrs. Fletcher. He waves again and keeps on walking. And he said, oh, do I glance back a third time? So he glances back a third time. And Mrs. Fletcher's now doing this. And he's like, wow, she's keen. So he's waving again. Hi, Mrs. Fletcher. I can, oh, hang on a second. She's, in, she's actually in danger. She, she's signaling that she needs help. She's not just being kind and friendly. She's actually crying out for help. So Charlie goes over to see Mrs. Fletcher. And poor Mrs. Fletcher, she's elderly, she's still running the farm, but she's got stuck in the mud. The mud has come over her wellies and she's literally lodged in the mud and she's desperately signaling Charlie to come and rescue her. So he says, oh, Miss Fletcher, I'm so sorry. I, I thought you were just waving. So Charlie makes a little kind of dad jog over to um, her to rescue her. And he gets her and he leans over to Mrs. Fletcher. And as he leans over, the book that's inside his pocket falls out and down into the mud. And it's a book on Christianity. And it's face up. And he can see it. And Mrs. Fletcher can see it. And it's a little bit awkward. And Mrs. Fletcher says, ha, yeah, book on Christianity. That's exactly where that belongs. And Charlie says, oh, you don't think much of Christianity then, Mrs. Fletcher. No, I don't, she says, and he doesn't think much of me either. Charlie helps Mrs. Fletcher out of the mud. He escorts her home, he takes her home. And then he goes back to where he was staying. And he can't shake it. And he's like, oh, wow, what a response that's exactly where that belongs, in the dirt. Christianity, you don't think much of it? No, it doesn't think much of me either. Charlie actually goes back, and as he's thinking on this, he's reflecting on this, he's pondering this, he begins to write Mrs. Fletcher a letter. Here's the letter. This is what he says to Mrs. Fletcher. Mrs. Fletcher, you once said that Christianity belongs in the dirt, you're right. That's exactly where it belongs. It's a great metaphor, Mrs. Fletcher. It belongs in the mud because that's where I am. That's where we are. It meets us. God meets us. It meets us in the mess of life. He gets in the mud and opens the gate to freedom. It's not a neatly wrapped, it's not a smug, polished little sermon. It's not a formula to success. It's not a way to gain superior moral status over other people. 
And it's not about being right. It's about love, Mrs. Fletcher. It's not a product or an escape from reality. It's not something you do to make you happy. It's something that's done in history for us, Mrs. Fletcher. It's a thing of extreme beauty. He came to us. He didn't just sit and watch. And the people who were invited first saw him as a baby, worked with sheep, and they didn't have a religious born in their body. They were religious outlaws, actually, Mrs. Fletcher. And the first people to see him resurrected were oppressed women, Mrs. Fletcher. It's a raw, heartbreaking, bloody offer of forgiveness and homecoming to ordinary people like you and me. And he didn't just come alongside our mess, he actually became it. He suffered and absorbed it like the pages on that soaking book. He was dead in the, in the mud, Mrs. Fletcher, but he's alive. He became the ultimate exile and was, was forsaken. That's the cross. Just so that we could come home totally forgiven and feel beloved in this earth, Mrs. Fletcher. That's called the grace of God. We are like lost sheep, and I know that you can connect and relate to that. And our lives and culture will never be the same without it. Even though we are busy crushing it deeper and deeper into the mud as we speak and getting more and more lost as a result. The atheist arguments, they're interesting, but I need something more than an argument because arguments don't love me. I need a text, a spiritual belonging, and they're not offering me one. We need an answer to the alienation, an alienation. And I know that you think it's rubbish and it belongs in the dirt, Mrs. Fletcher. But maybe you were just never shown how beautiful it is. How Jesus accepts you and would identify with your loathing of religious hypocrisy. How he'd come and die even if you were the only person living on this planet in your cottage, Mrs. Fletcher. You're loved. Jesus loves you, Mrs. Fletcher. He forgives you and he wants to bring you home. I love Charlie's passion to communicate the cross in everyday language to people who think it's rubbish. It's foolishness. Belongs in the dirt. He brings it home for her. This is what it means for you and for the world and the people where you are placed. On Wednesday, we celebrated Ash Wednesday and we put ash on people's head, the cross. And we thought about the fact that we are all sinners, that we mess up. But we thought about Jesus being a savior. And people, after they had the cross on their head, they went out into the world they went out back home. They went out to wherever they went. But what an image of taking the cross to wherever we are. It's forgiven people. People who aren't perfect. People who mess up. But people who are loved by God. People who are forgiven, set free, saved because of what Jesus did. Christopher Coxworth was a bishop who used to walk out of church uh, with the crucifix. And um, you know the, the crucifix that's on a pole that you see guys kind of walk out with, with people following. He would walk out with this pole and he would have the cross facing him. 
And it was a little bit awkward because after a bit of time, somebody actually challenged him and said, hey, I know this is awkward and I hope you don't mind me saying, but you know you've got it the wrong way around. <laughs> like you, Jesus needs to be facing that way and you basically take Jesus out to the world. He said, no, I know. I haven't got it the wrong way around. He said, I want to look at the cross before I go into my day. I want to see Jesus hanging on the cross before I meet anybody. I want to see Jesus right before me before I set foot into my day. What an amazing picture. What an amazing image. And my prayer would be that tonight we get a fresh vision of the cross that we see how loved we are, how much Jesus loves us, that it's the power of God for those of us who put our faith and trust in it. That before you step into work on Monday, before you see your family or your friends, that image of Jesus dying for you is at the forefront of everything.